artificial intelligence, big data, blockchain, 5G. We may have at least uh, some kind of passing awareness of, but let's go ahead and give it a business context. Let's talk about how it's going to be something that's impactful and helpful from a business perspective. Welcome to the Biz and Life Done Well podcast, where we explore what it means and what it takes to do business and life well. I'm your host, Peter Wilson. If you're like me, you're intrigued by stories of common people who have achieved uncommon success in business and life. Join me as I interview fascinating people about how they got started, their successes and failures, their habits and routines, and what inspires them. Our guests are David Cieslak and Eric Beyer. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, starting with David. Uh, certainly. Thanks, Pete. So David Cieslak, I'm a CPA by background. Got my start at Pricewaterhouse a lot, a lot of years ago, uh, but really uh, spend most of my days living at the intersection of technology and accounting. So that's really my day job, uh, but really I'm passionate about helping businesses leverage the latest technology to become more efficient and more productive. And you are with what organization? RKL eSolutions. They're headquartered out of Lancaster, PA. Uh, I myself live in Southern California. Eric. That is pretty hard to follow. That's quite the introduction. Eric Beyer here from Nashville, Tennessee. I am uh, originally from the private arena, but for the last 25 years now from the public landscape and most recently serving in government and legislative affairs for transit authority that serves nine counties in middle Tennessee. What do you got for us today? Well, one of the things I, I have an opportunity to, to share with a lot of audiences uh, each and every year is just what are the latest and greatest technologies uh, how, and how are they going to impact uh, both us professionally as well as personally. I would tell you there's probably no more exciting time to be uh, in business than right now uh, because we've got a number of technologies that are making their way uh, to the desktop, to the devices that we're working with, and it's giving us an opportunity to not just uh, kind of reinvent process, but to really reimagine who we are, what we do. And so one of the things I always encourage uh, our clientele is don't just try to think about you know an individual process and making it more efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, really take out that clean white sheet of paper and just reimagine if we were to start over today, what would we do? How would we do it? And how can technology facilitate really kind of a, a whole reimagined way of, of coming at a problem and, and solving for that? So you've got some technologies that you're going to share today. These are technologies that you are uh, more than bullish on. They're, they're beginning to really have an impact on business. Why don't we get started? What are, what are the what are the technologies that you see that kind of fit that intersection right now? Well, and, and yeah, to that point, I mean, there's there's many, many technologies, but those that are really kind of hitting mainstream that are really, uh, as I said, just kind of showing up on the desktop and on the devices that we're working with, cloud computing, and I'll call that kind of a mature technology, but really it's the delivery mechanism uh, that everything else flows through. So we think about the internet, we think about cloud, we think about the impact of cloud uh, just this uh, last 18 plus months with COVID. Uh, it really was the great enabler, the great facilitator, and it really laid bare the fact that that is the mechanism that's going to be delivering a lot of the other value to us on a go-forward basis. But some of the topics I, you know, if we could mm -hmm. want to touch on, we'll talk about artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about maybe uh, some machine learning and big data, touch on uh, maybe blockchain, but also talk about 5G. And mm -hmm. I think all of those are, are, you know, we may have at least uh, some kind of passing awareness of, but let's go ahead and give it a business context. Context. Let's talk about how it's going to be something that's impactful and helpful from a business perspective. As I said, you know, I think uh, you know, cloud computing is is that conduit, and you know, uh, you, I think for most of us, we can't imagine you know uh, <laughs> a few minutes anymore without some kind of connectivity to the internet, to the cloud. Um, but I think you know what we saw with COVID is it really, as I said, was the the mechanism. It was the really uh, you know the conduit that connected all of us. Uh, but I want to kind of put a little bit different spin on it and just say that, uh, you know, if we were mid-stride on, you know, in our thinking, um, you know, what is, you know, what do we have uh, parked locally? What are we operating on our local machines versus what's in the cloud? I would tell you everything, and I mean, you know, virtually everything should be out in the cloud 
and not just from a convenience perspective and not even just from a connectivity perspective, but from a security perspective. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, hands down, cloud is giving us the most redundant and the most secure platform to operate from. And so I do, I look at that and I say, everything we do should be cloud-based. But the other piece of that is that so many of the other technologies that are, are, are just around the next corner, uh, they're only going to be available to us if we're using cloud-based versions of products. So mm. they're not going to show up because we're going to um, you know, download it to our local machine and do some kind of fat client install, next, next, done, and, and now we're operating on a, on a local device. It really is going to become available to us only through cloud products, only because those publishers are going to be really authoring and delivering that through their cloud versions of the products. So let me ask you a quick question here, just kind of taking a step back. Cloud, do you have a, uh, a definition of cloud? Uh, I would say, you know, to me, you know, when I when I think of cloud, I think of, you know, SaaS, multi-tenant, uh, you know, software, something that's uh, uh, really, you know, architecturally written for, uh, you know, a browser. So when I think of, you know, cloud-based applications, I think of something where there's probably minimal, if uh, if if any client at all, locally. So there's no apps you need to download, nothing you need so to you're, install. So you're running whatever you're doing is you're viewing and interacting with the uh, app in a browser window. Correct, and it's largely so all the commuting is happening. Everything somewhere know, else. All the data is stored out in the cloud. Uh, the application itself is running from the cloud. So you really have you know, um, and we used to call them dumb terminals a lot, a lot of years ago. And you know, really thinking about the role today, uh, the browser is that dumb window, that dumb terminal you mm -hmm. know, into that cloud-based application. Right. So that's, you know, I, I guess I would say that is, you know, really uh, the, the mechanism that we use for delivery. So any and everything else that I'm, you know, I might share uh, as we kind of, you know, spend a few minutes talking today, you know, is is through the lens of, of cloud. So uh, if it's okay, you know, what I'd like to kind of think through is now a little bit more in the artificial intelligence sure. area. Yeah. And artificial intelligence is really kind of a broad um, moniker. Uh, it's a it's a rather overarching definition. And so when we think about artificial intelligence, it actually includes a number of technologies. Uh, and it could be everything from machine learning, deep learning, natural language, uh, you know, recognition, robotic process automation. So a lot of three-letter acronyms, you know, mm -hmm. RPA, all wind up underneath this definition of AI or artificial intelligence. And it's one of those where I think, you know, a lot of Hollywood scripts have been devoted to, was, you know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I always think of Space Odyssey or The Matrix Absolutely. when you talk about AI. And it th I think it makes for some, some great sci-fi. Uh, but the reality is, you know, we're already all working, you know, today with AI. And it's, it's touching our lives through the apps that we use on our mobile devices. Mm -hmm. It's already operating within a lot of the applications that we're using. So it's already doing some work for us. Um, but let's kind of start at the entry level and kind of yeah. the, you know, the simple the simple end. Thank you. Yeah. And so really uh, at the kind of the, the, I'll call this the high effort, low value task that we often do. And, and you know, and so specifically, how can we bring automation to, to help us move and operate and conduct our business more efficiently? And one of the ways we do that is through something called RPA, Robotic Process Automation. So okay. think of that much like you would a macro that we wrote years ago mm -hmm. for Excel or Word, you know, and so it, not to say that you might not still do some of that today, but automating that redundant process where we're mm -hmm. not adding a lot of value. We're just trying to get, you know, information from point A to point B. And so RPA is going to be application agnostic. So it's not going to be specific to, you know, a given application. Mm -hmm. Instead, it kind of sits a level above that and says, mm -hmm. okay, I see application A, I see application B, I understand you want to move data from one to the other, and I'm going to help you kind of automate that process, go mm -hmm. through a mapping process where I'm going to extract from one and, uh, you know, insert those records maybe into a target So there's a learning phase mm -hmm. in the process where it's going to observe what you're doing. Correct. The code will observe what you're doing. Correct. 
So it's kind of like turning on record. Yeah. And you're going to say, you're going to remember my keystrokes uh-huh. and my mouse movement, and then from there, play back. Uh-huh. And so if we've got, again, you know, a, a redundant task, something that's a lot of effort, but really just nothing more than busy work, yeah. that's a perfect candidate. And right. so as you think across your organization, what are those processes where you're spending a lot of just, you know, that meaningless time and would it benefit from some automation? And so the tools are inexpensive, they're mm-hmm. easy to operate, mm-hmm. and yet so many organizations don't even, you know, that that's not even in the discussion. Mm. So there's an opportunity to work smarter, better with something as simple as RPA, and that's available to everybody today. And so so is, that, is that just... Um a package you buy off the shelf or yeah. off the off the off the virtual shelf. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, was gonna say. yes. I don't go to uh, Egghead Software uh, and buy that. Good good luck finding one of those. <laughs> uh, and no, so that's it's just you know these are just apps that you can you know download and yep. you know uh, you know UiPath, Gapify. There's a number of Blue Prism. There's a number of you know sample okay. products that okay. do that. Okay. Uh, and so you, you it, it, very simple. It, as I said, you just kind of turn on a recorder. And then you're able to view back what it is you recorded. You're able to put pauses in there and say, stop here, query me for that there. And so really think of it as just something that's an automation tool. Got it. Dave, do you think there's been some resistance or just some fear of the title that people have not pursued that on their own? I and mean, what I'm hearing from you for the first time for myself is I didn't realize how accessible it was. I assume there's something magical or unknown about it that would not want me to perhaps delve in it or step into it but what i'm hearing fear the unknown what i'm hearing you say is it sounds pretty straightforward and demystified i think what i what my perception of it would be yeah and i would say not only is it very straightforward but really i think the um the barrier that we most often observe is for organizations we've always done it this way and so they come in each day and they just lather rinse repeat we'll just do it again today the way we've done it for the last week month year decade And so, you know, what I opened with or the thought I opened with was, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of really not just rethink, but reimagine. And it really almost takes that kind of mental stretch to say, you know what, let's really break out of that legacy mindset. Let's look at business process. Let's think about what we do, how we do it. And you know what? Uh, start with that clean sheet of paper and use that as the approach. And I think you're going to find some great tools. Have you seen or do you have an example of where someone has taken a a first step at this and it's really been transformative within the organization where there perhaps the culture is not to make changes? Like you said, we've always done it a certain way. And someone wants to come and say, hey, I think this really can make a difference. Um, Have you seen that happen? Or is there an example of some um, things that you've observed that you're like, wow, you know, this was kind of the entry point of changing that culture or bringing about the a new conversation. Yeah, the most typical kind of point of intersection here is when I've got, uh, and I I feel like my organization has become very siloed. I've got data in multiple applications. I've got, you know, and I'm thinking, my goodness, if I have to enter this data one more time, the same data into two or three different, you know, target applications. And so the idea is that you're able to say, you know what, let's enter it once and then let's use some automation to help you know reach inside application a and you know copy it into application b and that could be anything it could hmm. be you know records from a customer database it could be you know financial information it could be any one of them so that like i said the challenge is to think about and 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 honestly just thinking about you know high effort low value just with those words in mind think about you know the the information that lives in your organization and just using those words you probably can identify that very scenario and that's the opportunity to say you know what would this benefit from this kind of automation i'm also hearing that it's really not that expensive perhaps to go ahead and dip your toe in the water that um, again take one of these simple projects or something you've again started with a blank piece of paper and delve in and and play around with it and see see what the results are so it's not it doesn't have to be a big financial investment a I think little bit of time i think that's really well stated i think it doesn't have to be complex it doesn't have to be expensive and i think until you actually get started uh, you know it, it might be intimidating sounding uh, but you know really the the idea is start somewhere and I think once you do, you just go, wow, this was a lot more straightforward than I thought. And let's, what are the other opportunities here now? That's great. Yeah, so that's, I, I would tell you, that's kind of typically where we, uh, you know, we would say that's the on-ramp 
for artificial intelligence and because there's really not much there in the way of intelligence per right. se because it's really just you know application a to application b automation yep uh, when we think about really artificial intelligence you know on a broader spectrum we're really going to start to bring the machine into the mix and say you know what i want some assistance now and not mm -hmm. just copying data yeah now I want the maybe the machine to help look at information, look at data. Identify trends. Correct. Help me yeah. make sense of what it is I'm looking yep. at and give some suggestions. Let's where can we go from here? And so so kind of, you know, typically where the conversation then leads. Uh, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence, we start we then you know, kind of progress into something called machine learning. Yep. And so now we're looking to the computer to say, okay, looking at this data, you know, can we and analyzing some of this, do we see trends? Do Are we able to, based upon those trends, are we able to predict anything? Do you have any recommendations? Should I go from, you know, where, yeah. what do I do next based upon, you know, maybe historically, you know, what has transpired? And so, by the way, the context I want to make sure to share in all of this, too, is that this doesn't work really well if I have a really small sample set, yeah. a really small data set yeah. size. Yeah. So the other piece of the puzzle that people always kind of talk about, or at least you know, include in the same conversation, is something called big data. And that's nothing more than a way of saying you know, the database. Sure. You know, all this data. And the more data we have, the more analysis that can be done against that data, the more we can look for trends. Mm -hmm. And you know, the more, uh, basically the more accuracy we can bring to the results because right. we've got a better sample size. So you know, all very intuitive. Mm -hmm. But so when we talk about machine learning, the more data, the better the predictions, the right. better the analysis. Well, we, we're actually using machine learning now. Uh, in our uh, Google Ads. So Google Ads uh, has a bid strategy called Maximize Conversions. Mm -hmm. And it uses machine learning. So you basically say, this is my daily budget, and I want to get as many leads as I can, or a conversions, whatever your target um, metric is, in your ad strategy. So in our case, we're trying to generate leads for our clients. So what we've done is we've instrumented their website. So if a person comes to their website from clicking on a Google ad, they'll see a different phone number. Or if they fill out a form on the website, like a contact form. So those are two types of leads, examples of leads that are generated through the website. And we feed that data back to Google ads. And we apply a filter to the phone calls because it has to be somebody who's never called you before the call has to last a certain amount of time and we feed so we're feeding not we're we're feeding the trigger information back so google knows this click that i sent to that website turned into a lead and this one didn't and this one didn't and this one didn't and this one didn't and this one did but what it knows about each of those in addition to what they show us which is like the search term or the keyword they were searching for is thousands of other data points that they don't share with us. Mm -hmm. Such as, how many times has that person searched for that keyword? Where are they located? What kind of device are they on? And, and t tons of data that Google is, is not gonna share with us. So we implemented that as a bid strategy. Before, we were just doing manual bid strategy ourselves trying to use the data that we had available to us, which was very limited. When we, when we put that in place in 2017, within 30 days, and it took a while for the learning to take place, and it says we're lear it's learning, we saw across the board a 20% decrease in cost per lead in 30 days. Wow. <laughs> Significant. And that's a great example, though. I mean, you did a great job of, you know, framing that and, and, you know, just so much of, you know, machine learning's brought to bear there yeah. against that, that underlying data. And not only is it analyzing that, trying to understand that, but it's also then guiding you, giving yeah. you guidance based upon that. And so, and I think AI, again, is another one of those lots of Hollywood scripts around this, but the reality is we're all living in that world today. So if we think about, you know, just kind of consumer type examples, you think mm -hmm. about things like, you know, Alexa or Siri or, you know, any kind of, you know, interaction with a, you know, with a, some kind voice of voice assistant. assistant. Yeah. Uh, you think about ways, you know, mm -hmm. you know, helping you navigate traffic and rerouting right. based upon, you know, an accident. I mean, all of this is examples of, you know, I've got data, I'm collecting this data, I'm analyzing this data, I'm making recommendations based right. upon the data. So it's all machine learning 
AI in, yeah. rea in real life from a consumer perspective? And then how does that potentially play out from a business perspective? So you, you, yeah. you, know, you talk about from a sales and marketing perspective, buyer behavior. Uh, I'd like to know so-and-so has clicked on the website. They've clicked on this form. They've clicked, they've visited more than once. You know what, Dave, you may want to pick up the phone and actually reach right. out with a direct call right. because you may very well have a, you know, a, a qualified buyer. Right, and, and one point I would like to make is they do clearly state in the in the when we set it up that if you have less than X number of leads per day, it's not going to get enough data. Yeah, so, so it, again, back yeah, to that point, yeah, big data matters. And the more, but the cool thing is over time, and we're talking like months and months and months, it's just learning more and more and more and more and more. Now, yeah. occasionally it goes wonky. We've seen it go wonky occasionally. And we've seen cost per lead go sky high. So we have to step in and we have to change the bid strategy to what's called cost per acquisition, which is still using some machine learning, but it's a little more guided, like we're capping it. Because mm -hmm. when we run max conversions, we're not capping it. We're not capping anything cost per click. We're just saying this is how much you can spend a day. That's yeah. it. So anyway. Well, so I do. I love the fact that, you know, machine learning, we have an opportunity to say, you know what, give, you know, uh, not only analyze it, but, but now help to start to guide my effort, help yeah. me work smarter, because that's really right. kind of the, the, the whole goal of this. And, and, yeah. and the other piece of context I'll just keep bringing us back to is none of this is going to show up on a local, a locally installed piece of software that I've been using for 10 or 20 years. On my PC, yeah. It's only going to show up in a cloud-based application, and they're going to potentially have access to not just your data, but other data. And it's mm -hmm. not going to be commingled with yours in the sense that you're not going to have visibility to it. But mm -hmm. for purposes of the algorithms and the analysis and the predictions and the guidance that comes out of it, that big data set becomes powerful. And it's mm -hmm. not just your data. It's the aggregate data mm -hmm. that becomes a, a great predictor, a great, you know, uh, you know, just bellwether to say, here's what to do, what and to we're, do next. And we're talking about, I'm assuming we're talking about data that's anonymized. Mm -hmm. So we're not, <laughs> we're not putting our you know, our whole life out there for people to analyze, right? Correct. No, you know, and that and that's 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 typically the way this is done is is again your um, your your data is you know your data, mm -hmm. um, but you know oftentimes you know there's some level of you know either visibility into key you know metrics key information that's a part of the design of the actual application itself, and that's what empowers that application and that's mm -hmm. you know so you're going to be benefit from it others are benefiting from it but it's not you know your specific data isn't splashing on anyone else's screens right and you know so no there's no uh you know certainly no visibility into any data that doesn't you know belong to you and so i talk about by the way ai and you know uh, in some of the different use cases you know it could be anything from a chat bot that lives on a web page mm -hmm. you know so some of the examples are are even kind of small or seemingly insignificant but it's engagement with a prospect and it's you know capturing interest and it's again one more tool one more piece of that puzzle to say you know what engage you know real life team members when you know real life opportunities look like they're you know they they might exist mm -hmm. So, and, and, and by the way, I, I think about, you know, just, uh, you know, machine learning. When we, we talk about machine learning, oftentimes we're going to say, here's the data source, you know, so in other words, here's the inputs. And here's what I'm looking for in the way of, you know, you know, this is the results or here's, you know, what I'm hoping the net, the, the, you know, the, the output might be. And so you're pretty prescriptive about, you know, input output and letting the machine kind of you know then observe in the middle and say so there's know, part of a teaching process there correct. well they're using it for um cancer uh detection and all kinds of yeah, CRISPR and all that you know the genome stuff and yeah so there's all sorts of work going on there so but I wanted to kind of maybe distinguish that by the way so when we talk about machine learning I'm mm -hmm. going to contrast with that's with something called deep learning okay now deep learning that probably is a little more Hollywood script like and I say that because oftentimes in the case of deep learning you're not really describing what the inputs and the outputs are you're literally just asking the machine to observe a process, something going on, and you know, then from there, go ahead and you know provide 
you know, output and say, you know, uh, you know, what do you think? What are you observing? You know, what are your recommendations? And so it tends to be much more unstructured. So think of machine learning as largely structured. Mm -hmm. Think of deep learning as largely unstructured. And so really, you know, a lot more just, uh, you know, broad. And there's a lot of interest going on in and around machine learning. And as, but, but more importantly, deep learning right now, you get some sometimes some pretty unorthodox results because you're mm -hmm. just going, wow, I didn't know that's the way that might appear to the to an outside, uh, you know, application. But really, you know, pretty interesting in that regard. So I did want to just kind of mention one or two other applications. Yeah. You think about things like Adobe Acrobat stuff that we use all day long, every day. They said, look, wow, you know, anymore, who prints things on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper? Who prints things? I mean, we consume it on portable devices, but yet the page numbers are all wrong. Yeah. Because that makes sense for an eight and a half by 11 right. sheet of paper. Yeah. And so they've said, great, we're going to build in machine learning into our product that's going to understand the screen size that you're viewing the document on, repaginate it, redo the table of contents. So now all of a sudden, when you're looking at the document, everything is consistent with the actual device ah. that you're working on. Yeah. You're going, well, that's, of course that's smart. You're right. Of course. Why wouldn't you? If, so those are perfect examples of the places where that's going to be available to us, but it's not going to be available to us you know if we're using again those in-house versions so but just real-time analytics you know predictive um, really uh, just you know constantly kind of minding the fort keeping an eye on numbers giving us you know predictions and so forth so again lots of neat opportunities uh, in and around that I would tell anyone uh, that you know look if this is if any of this sounds interesting or you know how would I pursue this more mm -hmm. um, you can actually subscribe as it were to AI as a service and so when you mm. think about you know Microsoft or Google or you know IBM or or um, you know um, you know Amazon they all have subscription based you know AI offerings mm -hmm. to say you know what if you've got a use case if you've you know in your mind's eye you've said you know I've got this really bold idea and and I'd like to see how I you know might incorporate AI into that there's actually you know subscription based AI as a service wow. available for you out there so pretty cool. So I think we've got a chance to talk, talk, you know, touch on a number of different concepts there. If it's okay with you, I, you know, I kind of want to, you know, spend a moment or two talking about, um, you know, 5G because this is yeah. one that I think a lot of people are asking questions about. At least I know, uh, and not necessarily just because, you know, I'm thinking about buying a new phone. I understand 5G is is you know the, the way to go. What mm -hmm. what more can you tell me? I would tell you that, uh, you know, as we've understood, we, we continue to understand 5G, it is probably one of the most transformative communication technologies uh, that's, you know, it really that's, that's arriving now. Really? Yeah. So it's, what's interesting is I turned off 5G on my iPhone. Should, are you saying I should turn it back on? Well, no, but that's actually the perfect question because I think 5G is it in the context of a smart mobile device, a phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's that going to do for you? Download a video faster? It's, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, so I don't to, know. yeah, so, you know, 5G in and of itself, you know, a few things to understand about 5G. First of all, it's not actually one standard. It's kind of three standards in one. Okay. So we think about L, uh, LTE, you know, uh, you know, um, yeah. 4G as we kind of understand it today. That really is part of the 5G spectrum. Okay. So in many respects, we're using 5G, the what's called low band, you know, technology today. Uh, but 5G actually has a mid-band component and a high band, a, mm -hmm. you know, basically a, mil a millimeter wave component. Okay. And when we start to move into that millimeter wave component, we actually mm -hmm. have something that's incredibly fast, mm -hmm. very low latency, and it really is going to afford some brand new use cases, things that we can do in the future yeah. that we cannot do today because the internet for all intents and purposes. And, you know, the technology, the communication technology is just too slow. So we're talking about the uh, radio frequencies Correct. that the device is using when you say the high band versus the low, middle frequencies and lower frequencies. Correct, yep, yeah. yep. And so, and by the way, your... Your, your modem, you know, mm -hmm. your uh, in, in your phone or in any device, uh, is ultimately going to you know automatically switch 
between those different frequency bands based upon what's available to it. So if you mm -hmm. bought a new phone recently, you may in fact notice it says 5G sometimes and yeah. other times it says maybe LTE or 4G. And that's not an accident. It's okay. not because there's something wrong from a, you know, a, a provider perspective. It just means that you're in an area where that 5G infrastructure, that faster infrastructure hasn't been rolled out yet. Mm -hmm. So your modem has fall, fallen back to, you know, that that lower or that that uh, you know that slower speed. So, but just to give you an idea, in a 4G world, we've got speeds of 28 megabits per second. You know, mm -hmm. okay, that's pretty respectable. But you think about then what is your maybe uh, your uh, cable provider providing today or your T1 line providing today. And you're just going, okay, nope, that's, uh, that's actually still a better option. But then as we move into uh, mid-band, we move into millimeter wave, we're talking multi-gigabit. We're talking faster communication wirelessly than we could do wired wow. today. Wow. So yeah, we're talking about 5G ultimately replacing all wired connectivity hmm. at some point in the future. And so when I say that it's transformative, we are literally at the very early stages of what is going to be something that's pretty spectacular. Hmm. I truly see a day when all of our devices only communicate wirelessly. We start to do away with all wired connections. Now, what's holding us up? Well, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be put in place. Okay. Interestingly enough, millimeter wave is where a lot of these new use cases have come from. A lot of this great speed comes from. A lot of this low latency, this one millisecond latent, low latency comes from. Mm -hmm. It requires a lot of new antennas, a lot more antennas. It's a shorter wavelength that goes a shorter distance. It doesn't go through windows and walls very well. So we need repeaters. We need amplifiers inside buildings. And so it's not just going to make it easily through the concrete walls and the windows in the buildings. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go in place. And it's starting at city centers and it's working its way out. So where will we see 5G? Well, if you're you work in a downtown office, chances are you'll see it there first. If you okay. are out, out in the burbs or out in the country, you're going to see it there, you know, probably, you know, a, a late adopter, as it were. So that's, you know, really where that takes place. Dave, does this kind of speed up or uh, deal with the issue as far as you look at certain pockets uh, within the country where there's just dead spots or there's just lack of access? Do you think this may skip a couple, a generation or two, let's say, of technology and go straight to this? technology or with this is this out of reach cost wise um or you see what i'm saying as far as rural areas i'm talking rural areas and even some areas that you don't think is rural that really don't have resources of connectivity or are not really um wired in i'll i'll, I'll use that term um with broadband so broadband etc and i'm just thinking that yeah. the potential and the lack of infrastructure a different type of infrastructure i'm hearing you say with this skip that whole process and make it more affordable on top of it? No, actually, in some respects, I think it makes that whole situation more pronounced or makes it makes matters worse, I'll call it. Okay, interesting. And I mm. say that because, again, it's a shorter distance technology. It requires more antennas, more infrastructure. Gotcha. If I'm a provider, I start from, you know, where am uh, I going to make those investments? I'm going to gotcha. do it in the most populous areas. It's okay. not out in the, the rural areas. Where I'm going to make the most money. Because it's yeah. not at the price point <laughs> or ROI. level. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not at the point where it really makes makes uh, financial so sense. So there needs to be some incentives. incentives. Who, who's leading in this effort around the world? I mean, where, where is this really taken off? In? Not is America. It, Let me just yeah. say, not the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Korea? Uh, yeah. China? Well, no, it's, it's, it actually is, um, you know, many, many of the, 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 the developed nations uh, other than the U.S. We're at a place right now in the U.S. where we're still better served with Wi-Fi for wireless connectivity than we are with, you know, 5G or, you know, 4G. So it's a really kind of a, a poor statement. Uh, so as much as we're aware of it because of our phones and because of the commercials we see on TV, I'm really looking forward to, like I said, a day when we've got more infrastructure that's rolled out faster, uh, more devices that are connecting, um, you know, via uh, you know, 5G, and it's going to enable some interesting new use cases. And that's the piece that to me is by far and away the, the neatest part of all. So when we talk about going from 50 milliseconds of latency today down to one millisecond of latency, it's the use cases just from a, from a, you know, the instant access or the instantaneous response time uh, mm -hmm. is going to be dramatic. So, I'll, you know, the examples I always use, I think of self-driving. When we think of self-driving today, we often think about the, the automobile as a self-contained 
you know, vehicle. In other words, you know, LIDAR, radar, cameras, uh, all of that, you know, operating solely within the context of the vehicle. What 5G is going to do is going to start to give us some environmental inputs. Mm. So I'm going to see that, you know, I'm coming up on an intersection. The light is just about to turn yellow, still green, just about to turn yellow. I'm my vehicle is already aware because it's gotten a 5G signal mm. that says, you know, the light is about to turn yellow. Go ahead and start, you know, decelerating now. Wow. Somebody's just stepped into a crosswalk. You know, it's going to communicate automobile to automobile. You've got all sorts of just and, and that's a simple example, by the way, of, you know, automobiles, uh, you know, automated driving. Uh, you know, autonomous driving. And I think that becomes not just a pipe dream. It becomes not just something that's very sci-fi, future-oriented. It becomes not just practical and doable. It becomes the preferred way to go mm-hmm. when we have 5G millimeter wave technology rolled out and we have more than one data source. And that's just what the car is able to see and interpret on its own mm-hmm. through you know internal devices. Right. But now we have environmental inputs. Another example, maybe surgery. I'm a surgeon, very specialized, uh, and you know, someone you know uh, around the globe, overseas, around the globe, you know, needs my services. If I'm able to hook up a Da Vinci surgical device, operate that, you know, from mm-hmm. the you know the the convenience of you know my home location, mm-hmm. but yet the actual surgery is taking place in a in an operating room around i can't have any latency at all yeah. it has to be a almost virtually no latency option and that's what 5g does and so again when we think about 5g it is way more than faster downloads mm-hmm. for a video on your smart mobile device i think that sells the technology so short. sure it's the new use cases that right. are so exciting but what does the adoption curve look like we got to start somewhere. We're starting today with smart mobile, uh, but I really look at 2022, 2023, 2024, depending on the use cases, where we're going to have more infrastructure available, and we're going to have you know some of those new use cases built out. So the years ahead are exciting. Look for those new use cases. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be fun, and and really kind of game changing. It'll change what we do, how we do it. And so mm. that to me is the exciting part anytime. Dave, do you think the application for this is what's going to help generate its expansion more more quickly? So I mean, I, I'm just sitting here thinking through when you're talking about the medical application alone that you could have the top surgeon wherever in the world um, operating at a local level and not having to go through all the hoops and the tests and everything else that you would do perhaps on site or relocating a patient or where the case may be that alone and that application seems like you know where do we sign this where do we sign up and when do we get this going it's, it's life-saving so yeah so yeah. It, I, I don't know when you, when i'm listening to you I, I i my mind kind of just spins and i'm just thinking of all the um applications that haven't even begun to be considered and how that may perhaps give greater impetus as getting this thing rolled out yeah and i i you know whether we want to call it an airbnb or an uber moment you yeah. know, when you think about what are those things that really help drive adoption oftentimes you know we look forward to the day when we're not talking about the technology Mm-hmm. We're only thinking about the use cases, right. the transformative right. use right. cases. Right. Those are the really, those are the exciting things. Yeah, improvement quality of life and other applications. Yep. And that's when it be- the technology becomes, you know, gets tucked back away where it should be, which is, you know, what it's it's an enabler. It's the use cases that are really transforming what we do and how we do it. And so again, I, th- I think of that. And so, uh, I- I- good news, by the way, uh, just this uh, within the last handful of months, uh, you know, a number of the big carriers uh, bought some spectrum called uh, C band, which is a you know a sits in between 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's where your Wi-Fi router sits yeah. at home. And so the band, the bandwidth right in the middle of that is what's called the C band. That is the mid band for 5G. And so there's a, you know, they purchased that. And so we've got some good stuff happening there. And that's where we're probably going to see a lot more rollout, uh, you know, a lot more, uh, a lot quicker adoption, a lot more uh, accessibility in and around uh, 5G. So some good, good stuff happening there. So what's next, Dave? Well, the last thing I'd probably want to touch on is, is uh, you know, blockchain. And goodness, this is one of those where Bitcoin. you Bitcoin. Yes, right? And, you know, you went NFTs. Right yes, NFTs, my favorite subject. So I will tell you, blockchain is another perfect technology of, I look forward to the day when we're no longer talking about blockchain. Or Bitcoin. Or Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin is one application 
you know, one use case within blockchain. Blockchain yes. is a shared, distributed, immutable ledger. Uh, so, and most people, when they think about blockchain, they think about Bitcoin. Right. And they, it's, they think of it as ubiquitous. But a blockchain is nothing more than a database. I, you know what I think about, Dave? I think about why the heck I didn't buy Bitcoin <laughs> at about 1500 because... I kid you not, three years ago or so, I went to a uh, meeting with some folks who were describing Bitcoin, how you buy, what a wallet is, all of that sort of thing. And I um, had an opportunity at that time to buy Bitcoin at, at it was like 1500 or something like that. And I decided to pass. Or how about at a dollar? Yeah. And now we're at 65000 no, and it it is one of those. I will tell you, Bitcoin to me, and you know, some uh, you may find this controversial. Uh, I look at it. I just say it's an unadulterated dumpster fire. It I, that's yeah. a proof of concept. There is no rational basis for the value of that. Uh, it is certainly not something that's going to become a predominant worldwide transactional cryptocurrency. At its full throttle, it can process seven transactions a second. Seven. (laughs) You don't scale that. That's not a global crypto transactional standard. And I keep using the word transactional. So is it something we can invest in, store value in, transmit value in? Yes, we can. But is it something that is going to become the... Transformative for the global monetary... Flow it was of money, only no. ever meant yeah. to be kind of a proof of concept, yeah. and it's great, but it operates on something called proof of work. Yeah. Uh, so by definition, it's power hungry. It's slow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really was meant to just say, "Here's one application you can run on yeah. a blockchain database." All well and good, um, but right. we really look at. Uh, in, in, and as I said, there's no rationale for the value behind it. We look at things like stablecoin. Things mm-hmm. where you say, I want to I want to go ahead and decentralize finance. And you, the whole concept behind that is maybe we do need to have something like the dollar or the gold standard or, you know, a local government. You know, so today, blockchain, I'm sorry, uh, Bitcoin is, you know, a, a non-fiat currency. There's no yeah. country, you know, endorsing, yeah. backing that up, yeah. uh, you know, bringing stability to that cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I look at it and I say, you know what? Great days lie ahead, um, you know, but for everyone who says, oh, I just, you know, I think Bitcoin is the future. I'm looking at it going, Bitcoin is a dumpster so fire. So you're saying blockchain is the future blockchain and great days ahead absolutely. for blockchain. And there's thousands so, of cryptos today, yeah. more coming, yeah. but I really do look for the days when we have some some stability there. We do, in fact, maybe have stablecoin bringing some, sure. you know, some, some, some stability to uh, a, a, basically a worldwide, you know, crypto standard. So let's talk about blockchain. Blockchain, what is it? So blockchain is really the best way to think of it. Is a, it's a database, much like a SQL database, a Microsoft Access database. Yeah. Pick your database example. Um, but it's just a cloud-based database. So it sits out in the cloud like mm-hmm. the Internet and you know, yeah. on the Internet. And in, interestingly enough, it's, an, it's, it's not – you can't make changes to the blockchain. You can only add rows or records to the blockchain. Okay. So they call it an immutable database because you can't change the data but if so if i had a value of five out there and i needed to change it to a value of three Mm -hmm. then i need to do a change record of negative Mm -hmm. two to get to that that new value so it's in a append only database but it's and it's also distributed meaning there's not just one copy so when i say the blockchain database is out there Mm -hmm. it's not just a single instance there's redundancy so if one is corrupt one goes down Mm -hmm. Uh, for whatever reason becomes inaccessible there's backup copies and they're all synchronizing to each other so it's Mm. distributed multiple copies redundancy it's immutable it's an append only uh, database so yeah it's it's got some uh, and then it's but it's shared and Mm. you know whether it's you know fully public anyone can see it or it's you know basically um, you know private and it's mm-hmm. an invite only. The notion is that it's a, a database that you know multiple parties could gain access to. Right. So you may even very very well find yourself in a place where at some point you know I record the transaction. My bank, myself, you know the you know a vendor that I'm working with, uh, all see the exact same transaction. 
And mm-hmm. so we don't need to be entering it separately on our own ledgers. We're all looking at one common ledger and agreeing that this is the information we're operating on. Yeah. So I look at it the early days of blockchain, you know, the assets that we're tracking, the use cases that we're using, and I say it's there's some really interesting stuff, some really uh, neat things going on there, uh, but it's going to be ultimately the use cases ahead that are going to be going so really to what? So a couple of the use cases that I've heard of, and I'm just going to throw some out randomly here. One is um, for content producers mm-hmm. uh, that would be able to perhaps control the distribution of their content. Great use case. Okay. Another one was keeping track of title records for land. Fabulous use case. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so how does that, how would that work? So that you can store anything in a database. Okay. So if you True. say, you know, uh, what I want to store out there is health records. I want to store, you know, a title to property. I want to store, yeah. you know, the results of voting. Yes. You know, I, you yeah. know uh, there's, I mean, a database is just a storage location, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for, for information. And it's, again, if you think about it, being immutable that's a that's a great so, so feature so when you so you when you say the term when you use the term uh, crypto so there is a um, there are um, locks or blocks or there's some sort of thing to keep this data from being changed right correct so that that's sort of the crypto side of blockchain right uh, correct there's a crypto cryptographic element to this and so before any block gets committed to a blockchain database mm-hmm. uh, it needs to be you know uh, essentially validated okay uh, and that happens in one of a few different you know mechanisms for doing that so before it gets committed uh, and, and by the way, it's usually not committed, you know, one record, one row at a time. It's aggregated with other transactions, mm-hmm. and it becomes, you know, a whole, you know, kind part of, of a whole whole uh, block biosphere of <laughs> yeah. So there's multiple Sorry. records committed as a, and we'll call it a single block gets added to the blockchain, yeah. and you know, before the next block can get added, it goes through and makes sure that the prior block has not changed. Oh, otherwise, you know, so as I said, it's an append only database. And so that's one of the ways it ensures that nothing's been altered, corrupted, you know, compromised is that before the next row gets added, it confirms that the prior information hasn't been altered. And that's on a on a record level or for the full at the block level. So it's for the full um, uh, the blockchain database. Yeah. And blockchain databases are unique to applications. So the Bitcoin blockchain database is different than the Ethereum blockchain right, database. Which is another cryptocurrency. Which is another cryptocurrency. And so each one of these has, you know, multiple, you know, copies of that ledger. Got it. And so you've got, you know, literally, you know, thousands and thousands, you know, if not millions of these databases mm-hmm. out there now. Each, you know, serving up a different use case or different application. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still just a database. And right. what data are we storing? So to me, the really, if you really want to let your, your brain kind of go on this, you're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm storing a lot of high-value information, my, the title to my home, my health records, uh, you know, you think things that are specific, unique, and solely attributable to me. Yeah. How do I control access to that? Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden I'm saying, no, if someone were able to compromise my credentials and gain access to my, they literally would have access to all the value ascribed to me. Mm-hmm. So to me, some of the neat work that's happening right now will continue to take place is in and around identity access management into the data that uniquely and solely belongs to me. Because okay. if I can compromise your identity... I can literally steal everything that is yours. So I look at blockchain and I say, that's the foundation, the database of the future. But the access mechanisms are also, you mm-hmm. know, as important, if not much more important, you know, going forward. Mm. Are you saying that you'd be able to use blockchain to limit access to that data? I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to figure out how your, how my, personal data is getting protected if I've put it in the blockchain. Well, you know, so the, you know, the, the data that's stored there is, yeah. is, you know, it's cryptographically, 
you know, secure. So people can't change that record. People I understand people that. People can't see that. People can't change it. Well, they can't see it. Well, they could see it if it's public. They can't ascribe it to you because it's, you know, it's a, unless they know what your identifiers are, they don't understand. Oh, I you know, see. That that belongs okay. to Pete. Oh, I got you know, it. I they, got it. Or I David. It. They don't, so it's or, just a bit Eric. out in the it's just bits and bites. in the ether. Yes. And I they, can, see. I, they can see, you know, the bit and bites. So they can't search for the record with my name in it. No. Got it. Okay. No. So, but again, I look at it and I say, depending on the sensitivity of the information, you know, so it's, this is, you know, kind of a dance that we're doing. And as we progress and we say, you know, more and more use cases are going to wind up there. Today, we're largely, you know, not doing a lot of secure information, although crypto is pretty secure. And mm -hmm. some people have, you know, millions of dollars now, in, yeah. you know, in some kind of cryptocurrency investments out there. And, and so if they lose, you know, their credentials, their credentials are compromised. I mean, it's again, I've, back, I've, I've heard the story. We're back to the Hollywood movies again. Yeah. And so it's 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 a uh, you know it's interesting times. And when I said when we when we started our conversation, I think this was one of the most exciting times from a technology perspective. Yeah. Uh, you think about all the stuff that's coming, how it's poised to impact what we do and how we do it. But it's awareness, it's education, and it's looking for the opportunity just to say, how can I leverage this and make this part of a reinvention process for my business? This has been a great conversation, Dave. Eric, do you? Uh I've learned a lot. My head is spinning in some of these concepts. I got to be honest. <laughs> I've got to be honest. So I feel like I'm I'm maybe like the listener and in, in hearing. I've heard these terms before. I've heard a lot of these concepts, but um, I certainly have even more questions uh, because as this changes and evolves, there's always going to be more questions and more applications. And it's a lot to digest and reflect on, but this is what's happening. So either you get on board and you educate yourself and you ask the questions, you get answers, but you stay involved because um, if not, it's going to leave you behind. So uh, that's the key. Um, inform yourself, um, get in the game and uh, move forward. Well stated. I say, let this be the beginning of your educational process. Learn and, you know, really you know, learn how to use these levers. Well, I really appreciate your time today, guys. Thanks a lot. And um, we'll have some uh, links in the notes for uh, uh, how to get a hold of some of this information, maybe contact some of these folks as well. Thanks, guys. Let's do it again sometime real soon. Appreciate Great. it. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to this episode of Biz and Life Done Well with Peter Wilson. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the other popular podcast platforms. Please tell your friends about us and leave us a review so even more people will find out about us. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.